with reading Ecclesiastes chapter 7. We're going to be in verses 23 to 29. Let's read together. All this I tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise. But it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? I turned my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, This is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among these I have not found. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes." Let's pray. God, now we come to your word and we ask that you reveal yourself to us. God, we believe that the Holy Scriptures are the very word of God given to us so that we would know you, your character, your will, your ways. And we come now to Solomon's writing here in Ecclesiastes, and we ask that you open up our hearts and minds to know and understand wisdom. And we pray that we would walk away not simply hearers of the word, but God, you would be working in our hearts to become doers. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. In 1987... U2 released a song that has become one of the greatest rock anthems of all time. The song was titled, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. And maybe as soon as I mention that, immediately through your mind go the catchy guitar riffs that U2 is playing. Maybe it's the repeating line that has really become the anthem of that song, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And it's that line that seems to so deeply resonate with us. When I was doing a little research for the sermon, yes, I also sometimes step outside of my commentaries and read on the wide world, the wild web, I was researching this song, and one music lover says this about the song. Bono, who is the lead singer of the song, says, Bono's world weariness bleeds through the song's opening lines. The song adopts the perspective of one who has seen much, from great heights climbing the highest mountains, to regrettable lows crawling. And yet, there remains a certain dissatisfaction, a deep desire to pursue meaning. This is assumed in the title, that there is, in fact, something to be looked for, some great purpose for us to discover, 
Perhaps this helps explain the song's enduring popularity. The author finishes this quote and he says, This song is an ode to the universal restlessness and the quest and the search for meaning. The reason I point us to that song this morning is if if you looked at Ecclesiastes, then what you saw is there's one word that pops up again and again and again in these short verses. It's the theme of finding. I have found or I have not found. This is basically uh, the, uh, the framework of these verses that we will study. Solomon will share with us in his quest, his search in life, what he has found and what he has not found. And as I've mentioned before, just a couple things if you're new to our series. This word, we, we were even just talking with friends yesterday, Ecclesiastes, what does that even mean? Uh, we forget sometimes uh, when we mention these names for, for some of us where we, we have grown up, and that's just the name of the book, we know that's one of Solomon's writings. What does it mean? Ecclesiastes just means the preacher or teacher. It's a book of Solomon taking the, the opportunity to be a teacher to us, a preacher to us, after a lifetime spent searching for meaning. If there ever was a quest in life, there was probably no greater quest in all of the world. And and, and in fact, no greater quest had the support of greater wealth than Solomon's quest for wisdom. And so we've been taking theme by theme each week, multiple different preachers as we go through the book of Ecclesiastes. And Solomon is looking to apply wisdom to life. And so we have in our study in front of us today... I've had the title, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For and Why. If we don't catch that and why, then you're going to miss the whole point of this sermon. I still haven't found what I'm looking for, but Solomon doesn't leave us without answers. He gives us a why. There's a conclusion. And so we want to arrive at that this morning. So our outline for this morning is quite basic We're going to look at what is found and not found. We begin with verses 23 and 24 and what is not found. Solomon says he does not arrive at wisdom. We'll take a look at how that is an amazing confession from what we understand and know to be the greatest uh, or the, the, the wisest man who ever lived. Not my opinion. This is what the scriptures say of Solomon. Secondly, we're going to take a look at what Solomon did find in verses 25 and 26. And he found a woman who we will call Lady Folly. We'll examine more of this as we come to the text. Thirdly, we found that what he does not find is Lady Wisdom, verses 27 to 28. And lastly, we arrive at his conclusion. Here's what he found. Here's what he's found, and he says this at the end. He says in kind of a singular way, a singular statement, he says, this alone I have found. In verse 29, Solomon gives us his conclusion. So let's begin this morning taking a look at verses uh, 23 and 24. Let's begin with what Solomon has not found, and he has not found the deep wisdom that he is searching for. Let's read again verse 23. It says, all this I have tested by wisdom. I said I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been far off and deep, very deep, who can find it? In verse 23, it says all this. 
I won't go into all the depths of what this means, but obviously it means everything that Solomon has written up to this point. Uh, and he's, he's now reaching a concluding point, but it specifically includes some of the, the passage above. If you're interested, just read up from beginning in verse or, uh, chapter 7, verse 1. Solomon begins to lay out some, some uh, basic, almost like Proverbs-like principles. We get to 23, it says, All this I have tested by wisdom. And it says, Solomon said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. Now, I want to press pause, because that statement should shock us. Because for you and for me, there's nobody that we could point to that would present more wisdom. Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs, is what we have. Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes. The scriptures itself tell us Solomon's stories. And in 1 Kings chapter 3, let me just jog your memory. Solomon was David's son. He is about to become king. And the Lord appears to him in a vision. And when God appeared to Solomon, God says, ask what you would like of me. And here's what Solomon asked for. Solomon asked God, he says, give your servant understanding. Give me a mind to govern your people that I might discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this great people. And God responds to Solomon's request for understanding and blesses him. In 1 Kings 3, verse 12, it says, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise, discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall rise after you. This is what God's word says about Solomon. If you want to know, uh, oftentimes, when you you want to, to believe something, or the validity of something, you want to know who said it. You want to know, what are your sources? Give me a reason to believe. Well, when it comes to talking about wisdom, I don't know if we can quote a source more significant than Solomon if, in fact, the scriptures say this. None like you has been before you, none likely shall arise after you. Solomon had a wisdom that was given from God. It's not a human wisdom. You don't work up this kind of wisdom. It's not from books and philosophy. Although when God gives wisdom, you will be able to make sense of all of the books and philosophy that we have written. But I want to just even show you how broad Solomon's wisdom was. In the chapter after, in 1 Kings chapter 4, verses 29 to 34, it begins to talk about Solomon's wisdom. And it says, And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure, and breadth of mind like the sand of the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed all of the wisdom of the people of the east and the wisdom of Egypt. It says this about Solomon. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs are 1,005. It says he spoke of trees. So it's not just philosophy. Solomon's out here talking about biology and writing about trees. He had an endless, his mind was insatiable to look at science, to look at philosophy, to look at everything the world could give him. So it says, he spoke of trees from the cedar in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke of beasts and birds, of reptiles, of fish. And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard his wisdom. Are you getting a glimpse of the depth and breadth of Solomon's wisdom? So when we come to Solomon making a confession, 
In verse 23, it says, All this I have tested by wisdom. I said I will be wise, but it was far from me. Should come as a shock to our system, because if there was anyone that we want to look to, to point us towards how to be wise, we would look to Solomon. And Solomon says that wisdom is far from him. Let's just dwell on that for a minute. When we talk about human wisdom, Wisdom. when we talk about Solomon's ability, even though God had given him wisdom to see into things, there is an unpenetrable wisdom of God, a mystery of God. You know, wisdom allows us to see things. Wisdom allows us to experience life on earth and the comings and goings of man. But there's a part of wisdom, there's a deepness to God's wisdom that we can't access. Maybe to put it another way, is that, that when we see life's events, when we, when we look at the circumstances of either my life or your life, and have you ever done this and you try to reverse engineer how this thing came about? That we can't. In fact, in, in kind of like in spycraft, one of the best ways that you can find out about your enemy is when you find one of uh, their, their planes or, 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 or one of their, uh, 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 what do you want to call it? Uh, in, I'm looking for the word, and this is going to be participation. Uh, yes, one of their inventions, their, their technology, their, their, whatever they have, one of the best ways that you can learn about others is that you, for instance, you find a down plane and you reverse engineer it. You basically, now that I have it in front of me, I can take it apart and I can figure out how this thing works. How does the propulsion system work? How big is this engine? What is, it, what is this airplane made, made out of that makes it go faster? What Solomon gets to is that even when I can see the circumstances in front of me and I have the wisdom to see, I still can't reverse engineer God in his wisdom. I can't get at it. We reach a point, and, and uh, think about this, uh, when the, the very word fathom, right, when it's used for the depths of the sea, is, is that when we are trying to take a measurement of the sea, we, we will we'll, we'll fathom the sea. We, we will basically, whether it's a, with a rope or a sound, we will make a sound, and when it hits the bottom, it bounces back up, and then we can determine the depth of the ocean. And with modern technology, we found, man, the ocean is, in, in some places, is deeper than we ever could imagine. In fact, we don't have access right now to reach the ocean depths, that we can go to certain places, but we don't have access to certain parts of the ocean. Can you imagine if when we were taking depths on the ocean, trying to fathom it, if when we sent out the little sonar wave, it doesn't come back, and you would probably look at your equipment and think, well, something's wrong. But can you, can you imagine the fact if we found a place that we could not measure, either out in space or the depths of the sea? This is what Solomon is getting at. Maybe another illustration is, is that when, when we move uh, into this world that God has given to us, we have access to many of the rooms. In fact, this happened to me. Uh, we had an uh, Airbnb in Ireland. When we went in, we had access to all the rooms, but two. I'm just going to say, maybe if you're like me, your first curiosity was, I wonder what's in that room. Why is there a locked room? I rented a house. When they gave me the description, there was nothing that said two locked rooms. Now, everything they said was in there was also in there. I had my room. The kids had their room. We had the kitchen. Everything was as it says. But there was nothing that said, by the way, there's two locked rooms. One of the first things I thought, what goes on in there? What would they have to hide? My mind wanted to know. 
But then also, I'm a law-abiding citizen, so I thought, I will just have to be happy that the Airbnb is as it says it was. I don't know what's in those locked rooms. But wouldn't... If, I think all of us, when we come to those locked rooms, it makes us interested to know what's inside. Deuteronomy 29.29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we might do all the words of the law. What God has determined we should know, He has revealed to us. But there are things that are beyond us that God has chosen not to show light into. This is what Solomon is humbly confessing. The wisest man that the scriptures say has existed, we, we may say the wisest man that the world has seen, humbly confesses to God. Can you imagine if, if, if uh, in your, your philosophy classes, right, as, as you're sitting there you're, and your teacher basically comes in and says, here's the deal. Try as you might, read as many books as you want. We're never going to really figure things out. That's your philosophy lesson. End of story. Study, be wise, pursue as much as you can, but just know you'll never get to the end of it. In a sense, this is what Solomon is saying. It's not saying wisdom is useless, and it's not saying don't progress in wisdom and understanding and knowledge. Solomon spent his life pursuing wisdom and knowledge. But there's secret things, deep things, mysteries of God. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says this, also emphasizing this point. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So here's the point. Here's the point I believe Solomon is making. In humility, we must confess we are not able to fully discern the ways in which God works. Point one. Philosophy lesson number one. Pursue wisdom as much as you can in humility. Confess. We are not able to fully discern the ways in which God works. Let's take a look at what Solomon did find. This is verses 25 and 26. Lady Folly. In verse 25, let me read it again. It says, I turn my heart to know and to search and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Before we go on to uh, unpacking those verses. Let me just talk about this word scheme. Solomon uses this word scheme several times. The idea or the, the, uh, that's behind this word is actually the sum of things. Solomon looks again and again. It's a mathematical word. When we think of schemes, or like uh, when I was, my mom says, what kind of scheme are you, you, uh, you know, enacting here? It's, it's usually some kind of like devious plan or I was doing something, Right? This word scheme is a mathematical term and it's looking at trying to find what is the end result or what is the sum of things. And in fact, later in the verses he says, when I was adding one thing to another, trying to find the scheme of things. And so Solomon in his search for wisdom is constantly looking for the sum of things. And that's how our minds desire to work. We want, in a sense, mathematical kind of certainty. 
we, we want to look at life and we want it to add up. We, we want life to always make sense, logical sense. That when you do A, B happens. And a lot of times it does. But the reality for all of us, our lived experiences, sometimes A does not equal B. And this is where Solomon is saying, my wisdom doesn't go far enough that we, we can't understand the way that God works. So Solomon is, is looking for the scheme of things, and he says he finds something more bitter than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets. You might be thinking, where does Lady Folly, what is Sam talking about with Lady Folly? Who is she? How did she arrive in these verses? And I want to point you towards the book of Proverbs, because when I look at verse 26, I don't think that Solomon is specifically talking about a, a woman, an adulteress. He seems to be talking about the lady folly that he mentions in Proverbs. If you know the book of Proverbs, Proverbs is another book of Solomon where he is giving us general principles of life. And when you read Proverbs, you're introduced to two characters. So on the journey of life, there's two characters that you'll meet. One is Lady Wisdom, and the other is Lady Folly. And Solomon personifies wisdom, and he personifies Lady Folly. Let me read for you how Solomon personifies Lady Folly in Proverbs 9, because I think this will give us insight into this passage. Describing Lady Folly, or the woman Folly, Proverbs 9, verses 13 to 18, it says, The woman Folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat in the highest places of town, calling to those who pass by, who are going on the straight, uh, or going straight on their way. And she calls out, Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. My best understanding of this passage was that when Solomon says he sets his heart to, to seek wisdom and the scheme of things, And as he moves to describe this woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are fetters, it's the the image of being, in a a sense, enslaved or entrapped. But not just by uh, uh, the, the seductress, but I think this is talking about sin. This idea of lady folly who is constantly... Standing in the city. It says she takes the highest place in town. She's calling to those who pass by. And Lady Folly is a temptress. And Solomon finds a terrible truth. Notice what he says. I like this. He says something more bitter than death. So in Solomon's search for wisdom, he finds something more bitter than death. And what he finds is this terrible truth. That like a moth to the flame we find ourselves again and again in the nets and in the fetters of Lady Folly. It's true of me. It's true of you. This is the, the very difficult part of sin to explain. We could just say sin is inexplicable. That we are drawn to the things that harm us. 
we're drawn to the habits that hurt others. We have habits that we know aren't good that we don't break. That not only hurt ourselves, but hurt our families, or hurt our colleagues. And this is the foolishness of sin. Lady Folly is personifying this, that on the journey towards life, don't we fall into the same sins again and again and again? And don't our sins enslave and entrap us? We know, I mean, I, I just think, you know, I have had the same weaknesses since I was young that I, that I constantly fight against. From the time I was little, one of the things I always have to worry about is, is my quick temper, my, my desire to react. There's a good part where uh, I'm passionate, I'm passionate about anything. If I'm talking about baseball, or I'm passionate if I'm talking about the person who just cut me off. I treat both with, with, uh, with the same level of excitement, right? Uh, one is nice words. The other one is, hey, what's going on, man? You don't do that. This is Germany. There's rules in the traffic. There's a zipper effect. You go in, I go in. I go in, you go in. But comics aside... Don't we fall into the same traps? And don't we all know our own weaknesses? And don't we tend to repeat them? And if it's not the things that are our normal weaknesses, it's the things that, that we know, whether it's scriptures or common sense, tell us to avoid, and we often don't, and suffer the consequences. Think of somebody who has an addiction. I can go down the list. Alcohol, drug, a sexual addiction, a food addiction. It doesn't make sense. We do the very things we know are killing us or harmful to us, and we can't break the cycle. This is Lady Folly. And this is what Solomon is pointing to in his search for wisdom. One of the things he plays, he says, here's what I found. And trying to answer the big questions of life, try to answer this one. I have found the woman who leads us to death, not just the, the prostitute or the seductress. What he is saying is basically sin. We all know it, we all participate in it, and we all have a hard time extracting ourselves from it. Solomon's point here is this. On our journey of life, we often find and fall in love with Lady Folly. Your mom says, that's the good girl, date her, marry her, we find the other one. The evil twin sister. This, and this is life. It, is that Solomon, uh, what, S- Solomon is very specifically comparing two, two women. Th- this is all of Proverbs and this is what P- Solomon is drawing us towards. Is that we find and we fall in love with the wrong woman. Lady Folly. And what is more bitter than death? What's more bitter than death is that while we are living, we're killing ourselves with sin. This is what Solomon says is beyond his ability to reason. Let's look at verses 27 and 28. If he found Lady Folly, or we tend to find Lady Folly, Solomon says something about who we do not find. I believe it's Lady Wisdom. Verse 27, it says, Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things. Remember, I already explained this. This idea of finding the scheme is this trying to add one thing to the next to the next so I can find the right sum. 
that I can arrive at the right answer. He says, which my soul has sought repeatedly. Verse 28 tells us uh, just to the extent that Solomon has sought out wisdom. And he says, but I have not found. And then he says, one man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. Stop right there. These verses, I'll just tell you, extremely challenging to interpret. What exactly do these verses mean? More importantly, what does it mean when Solomon says, a man among a thousand I found, a woman among all these I have not found? That's a very difficult phrase to comprehend and translate. Because it actually doesn't, does it tell us, Solomon doesn't give us any information. Is he saying, a wise man I have found, a wise woman I have not? Solomon saying, a righteous man I have found, a righteous woman I have not? Well, I don't think it's wise, because Solomon has just confessed in verse 23 that wisdom was far from him. So I don't think Solomon's saying, in one in a thousand I found one wise man. I don't think it's righteous, because literally, if you just look up a few verses ahead in verse 20, Solomon says that there's not one righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. So this man that Solomon found, it's not referring to his righteousness, it's not referring to his wisdom, and I don't think he's just talking about, I found a man. Among a thousand people, I found a man, but I didn't find a woman. One translator suggests that what Solomon means here is that among men... I have figured out one in a thousand. Among women, I've never figured them out. And while that might fit some of the uh, more comical caricatures we have of men and women, we do recognize we are different. I don't think that that is Solomon's meaning either. So what is Solomon's meaning here? Who is the woman he has not found? I believe the best understanding of this verse is that he has not found Lady Wisdom. When you, when you take uh, verses 25 and 26, and if you look at uh, how Solomon's written Proverbs, and I read for you specifically from Proverbs of what lady folly is like, I believe that best matches verses 25 and 26. If you look at verses 27 and 28, I believe the woman he has found is lady folly. We all find her. The woman that we have not found is Lady Wisdom, just like Solomon confesses in verse 23, that I have sought for wisdom, but what does he say? It was far, far from me. It was deep. If you want to look at what Lady Wisdom looks like personified, turn to Proverbs chapter 1. I read for you what Lady Folly looks like and how she is calling to those walking by, calling to those walking on the road that is straight, Well, how does Solomon describe Lady Wisdom? He does it many times in Proverbs. We'll just take a look at verse uh, verse 20 through 23 in chapter 1. It says, Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. So once again, right there, you see wisdom personified as a woman. Lady Wisdom. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing, and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make known my words to you. Here's what I think Solomon's point is. Finding 
and being faithful to lady wisdom is elusive. And Solomon, in looking to apply wisdom to all of life, Solomon addresses two deep mysteries. The first is, he addresses lady folly. For some reason, on our journey of life, we often find, and we love to date, and even marry, lady folly. And she's terrible for us. It's, like I said, it's the one your mom said, do, whatever you do, don't, do not marry her. Your friends see it, your mom sees it, your parents see it, everybody said, just don't marry that one. And that can be applied man or, or, or woman, right? And Solomon also says, but who he has not found is Lady Wisdom. Finding and being faithful to Lady Wisdom is elusive. Notice how Lady Wisdom speaks to us. She says, like fools, we love being simple and we hate knowledge. And as a result, we don't know Lady Wisdom. I'll give you just a classic example. When we we try to answer the big questions of life, the reality that we all face is that we have biases that we come and we bring to the table. And when, when somebody presents us information that is outside of the little box that we want to believe, then we, we typically, and this is not just, uh, uh, this is not atheists, it's not just Christians, it's everybody. Everybody comes to anything with a bias. Children, adults, spiritual, non-spiritual, we all bring in our biases and we all want what we want to be true to be true. There's very few people who actually say, I'm looking for answers that actually mean when they say that, and I will go wherever the truth takes me, is that we tend to pick and choose. It's called confirmation bias. Uh, You can read up on it. Do a Google search. That's not a Christian word. Confirmation bias is everywhere in the world around us. We look for truth in the ways that we want to find truth. And this is why so many of us reject Lady Wisdom. She is calling out in the streets. She is there for us. But it says, like fools, we love being simple and we hate knowledge. This is the challenge of the human life. We all live in this desire for what I have already preconceived to be true, to be true. And really when I'm asking for answers, I'm just wanting confirmation that what I am doing is right. And if I'm faced with realities or truths that contradict what I want to be true, we tend to deny or go the other way. Uh, if you look up that confirmation bias, one of the things, I've mentioned this before in a sermon, is they call it uh, the ostrich effect. It's where you bury your head in the sand. Uh, when, you come to, uh, when you come to truths that you, that you don't know how to deal with, rather than deny or run, you just bury your head in the sand. Now, we get to Solomon's conclusion, because the last thing he finds is the heart of the problem. In verse 29... Solomon says, See, this alone I have found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. So let's put the the text into three questions if we're kind of tracking Solomon's argument. And we're uh, putting into question format what Solomon is saying. Why is it that our wisdom fails to comprehend God's ways? Why is it that our wisdom fails to comprehend God's ways? Secondly, why is it that we are attracted to lady folly, to sin, 
when it imprisons us or is so dangerous to us. It doesn't give life, it takes life. Why is it that our hearts don't love and pursue and stay faithful to Lady Wisdom? When we look at those three questions, and I think if we look around at the world around us, we don't have to simply look at Ecclesiastes. I think we can just be present wherever you're at, wherever you work, in the world, or in the current news events. We clearly see something's wrong with the picture. Indeed, something is not just wrong with our present circumstances. Something's wrong with the world as a whole. And Solomon points us to own up to a great truth. That it's not just something wrong out there. Solomon says, God made man upright, but we have sought out many schemes. Solomon says, if you want to point the finger, point it right here. Something is wrong with us. Here's Solomon's very simple conclusion. God made man upright. That truth comes from the creation account in Genesis. Where does Solomon base this off? Well, he bases it off of God's creation account. God made man and woman in his image. He made them to enjoy a perfect relationship with him in the garden. And there's this huge but. It says, but they have sought out many schemes. Despite the truth that God made us upright, we have sought purpose and pleasure and meaning apart from him. My story, your story, the story of our world is that we are all seeking something to satisfy our souls. And the very definition of sin is when we seek to satisfy our souls apart from God, apart from what God says is good. The heart of the problem is the problem with our hearts. We love and we desire wrongly. This is why we always fall in love with Lady Folly. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. If you grew up like me, I, remember, I memorized that, and desperately wicked. I almost inserted wicked in there. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jesus in Mark 7 verses 21 to 23 says, From within or out of our, the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, covering, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. He says, all of these things come from within, and they defile a person. We have a heart problem. C.S. Lewis, if you are familiar with his writings, perhaps you're familiar with his uh, books and his movies, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. C.S. Lewis was a a professor of literature, both at Oxford and Cambridge, was a one-time atheist who came to faith. And he famously said, all that we call human history, money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery. He says, all of this is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. So we begin with the U2 song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And I told you, but that's not the full title. And why? If we miss the why, then we've missed the purpose of this message and we've missed the purpose of Solomon's writing to us. 
Perhaps this song describes you. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Is that you and your endless search for work or the next job or the next salary or the next position that will satisfy you? Or the next house or the next car? Searching, unable to arrive at answers? Well, here's what Solomon says. He puts forward a truth about why we don't find what we're looking for, why we fall in love with Lady Folly, and why Lady Wisdom is so hard to find and be faithful to. Solomon lays the fault at my feet and at your feet. He basically asks us to own it ourselves. If you're familiar with uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, one of the first things they do, right, if if you're going to come in and want to make progress, they say, step one, admit you have a problem. That's step one for Alcoholics Anonymous. Step one for Solomon is own the problem. The fault is at your feet and my feet. There's something wrong with my heart. There's a problem inside of us. So here's my three invitations for you as we close our text today. Like Solomon, who in verse 23 admits that in his wisdom, he's not able to arrive at answering life's big questions. My first invitation to you. I don't know where your search has taken you. I don't know when you arrived in the seat today, the questions that you're asking, the spiritual journey that you've been on. But here's my first invitation to you. Are you willing to admit that in and of yourself, you can't answer life's big questions? Solomon confessed he couldn't. Number two, are you willing to admit like Solomon that we devise many schemes and plans to seek our own happiness apart from God? Solomon says, there's something I've seen more bitter than death. This crazy problem we have with sin where we fall in love and as a result, we're fettered, we're tied, we're entangled and we're enslaved to our sin. So here's where I want to land. I want to invite you to also believe this last truth. Solomon makes clear that sin is our fault. But it doesn't have to be our final fate. There's something beautiful here is that if you are willing to own up to the fact that sin is my fault, there's things that are wrong with me. Yeah, I can point to a thousand things wrong out there, and we can. But Solomon invites us to lay the fault at our own feet, to look here. I was listening to an interesting interview between two movie stars, uh, not religious in any, any way, but the one was struggling, addicted to alcohol, uh, and in fact, I think it was, it was uh, uh, Mel Gibson and uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr. addicted to drugs, addicted to alcohol. Mel Gibson meets with him and he says, here's the first thing he says is, learn to hug the cactus. He's not a theologian. But what he was saying is, first recognize you've got to hug the cactus. You've got to deal with the issues inside of you. And they're prickly and they're rough. And, like, nobody goes to hug the cactus. Mel Gibson gave some pretty theological advice. He says, Robert Downey Jr., if you want to get out of your addictions and your messed up life, he tells him to hug the cactus. That's not what Solomon tells us, but here's what I'll tell you. First, deal with your own fault, the sin. And then recognize this is not your final fate. How can I say it's not your final fate? 
Let me give you a classic text that is so beautiful. John 3.16, world's best known verse. You probably already know it. But it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send in the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. If you are willing to embrace this reality that I have a part to play in what's wrong with my life. In fact, the fault lies at my own feet. If you're willing to embrace that, then you also have the gift that it's not your final fate. It's not the final word. It's not your final destiny. Why? Because God sent his own son out of love for you, not to condemn you because of your faults, but to save you and give you eternal life. God's final word to our messed up, broken life, that Solomon says, in my wisdom, I can't arrive at answering the mysteries of the world. But here's who can. God has sent his son, in fact, uh, in Corinthians, it says, to be wisdom for us. We see the wisdom of God in sanctification, justification, salvation. Final answer, God has sent Jesus to be wisdom for us. He has taken away our fault and he has changed our fate. Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you that when we come to scriptures at times,